Hello, and welcome to Keeping It DL. Where David, myself, and Liz, that's me, navigate through our relationship and feature couples who are near and dear to our hearts, sharing moments of laughter, perspective, and love to you all. So, Liz, what's on the DL this week? We are finally back, everybody. Um, after several months of going on a hiatus, we can't wait to share what's been going on, um, what has happened, and where we are at this point. Woohoo! We're back. Yeah. So, a quick update on Liz's current status: we have successfully undergone a stem cell transplant. So we left off last time where Liz was waiting for a PET scan after her first round of chemo. And unfortunately, the PET scan did not come back too positive. And the doctor had to roll in with plan B. And plan B, it's stem cell transplant. Yeah, as well as a different type of chemo, which is the GDP chemo, if you want to get very technical. GDP. Um, Yeah, so we're sorry, everybody. We did have to take a pause because it was actually really tough for me the second time around going through it physically, mentally, emotionally. It hit different than the first time. Like I remember being really sad about it. One of the main reasons was before the PET scan, I did do another scan. It was the CT scan. And the doctor did say that the cancer was gone. So I had maybe less than a month thinking that everything was going to kind of kickstart again. I was going to, you know, have a few months to recover and then go back to work. And I was planning already um, about what the future holds. I learned that I'm a very, very future-oriented person. So I think hearing that news that the cancer came back in less than a month was very devastating. Yeah, it was it was devastating for, for both of us. I remember when we were driving down to the cottage, this was our whole friend fiasco. That was in August. Yep, in August. And that's when I first found out. But I knew something was off immediately because... At that time, Liz wasn't talking to me. And that's just not <laughs> our, our normal mode of communication. So I knew something was off. And yeah. when I asked her about what was wrong, she wouldn't tell me. No clue why. But nevertheless, we received the call from the doctors. And the doctor essentially gave us a quick update of what our next steps are. And at that time, our prospect wasn't looking too great in terms of a success on a cure. It was, mm-hmm. like Liz described, truly disastrous and super <laughs> devastating to, to both of us because the doctor said that this treatment combines two portions. The first portion is the chemo with GDP. And then the second portion is the stem cell transplant where we'll take Liz's own stem cell, wash it of all the cancerous cells and inject it back into our body after receiving high doses of chemo. And the doctor said, typically, the chance of success was 25%, because 50% of a success rate for the chemo, and then 50% chance of success on the stem cell transplant. So it wasn't too great. It really wasn't. And I think this is the first time we're actually talking about it after going through it all. So I'm kind of reliving that moment right now. And it was just, I felt completely defeated. I really did not have that fight in my bones like I did with the first half of the year. It was a totally different side of me. I just really was on the verge of giving up. 
and could not even see myself going through all of that. But here's the twist. <laughs> We're doing okay. We're doing okay. Yeah. So We're doing okay. we are now done, as I mentioned prior. We went through the GDP, which was very effective. After the GDP, Liz went for a PET scan. And this time the doctor told us that the cancer is gone. Fingers crossed, it stays gone forever. And then mm -hmm. we went through the stem cell transplant, um, which was also in itself a, a treacherous journey, if I can say the least. It was yeah. extremely tough, tough on a body uh, as well as on a mind. Liz and I, we had to be held up on a in a hotel near the Hamilton Hospital, uh, Dervinsky Hospital. <laughs> it's called Jervinsky Hospital. Jervinsky so. Hospital. Yeah. yeah. So we were, yeah, we were up there for quite some time. Yeah, we were there for, for three weeks. I mean, the total transplant was supposed to take place over a, a period of three weeks. Mm -hmm. In addition to a collection of three days, which Liz only yeah. did it only, which Liz only required one of the three days, which is amazing. Her body was definitely doing it and put it in work, if I it can really say. It really does. Yeah, 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 your body was putting in work, my love. And I think that's what's really interesting. I was telling some of my friends about this, that... In times when mentally you feel very defeated and you just feel like you can't fight through it or, you know, be in a good headspace, you're, it's like your physical and your mental, they work together. And when my mental felt a little low, my physical would kind of show me and prove to me like, no, I'm fighting this and kind of compensates for it. So I think that's really interesting. Um, even with the recovery I didn't really need that many blood transfusions. I thought that I could manage without any blood transfusions, um, but I only needed one set of blood cells and also platelets. And that's pretty good, I would say. And then as well, in terms of the recovery, I was able to get out of the hospital pretty fast. So we decided to do the stay out option or the outpatient option. And Liz was admitted to the hospital for the last week because her counts were super low. Her neutral fill mm -hmm. counts. Uh, I don't know what other counts you had there, my love. Yeah, essentially, I think it's, um, they call it febrile neutropenia. So that's when your white blood cells really hit the lowest point, And then you also have a fever. And yeah, again, that was also really tough because you, CC, and I, we came in thinking we can try to go through the whole three weeks staying as an outpatient where I don't have to get admitted. But that ended up happening and obviously did not go to plan. But it was definitely the better option for sure. I mean, in general, I think the result is good, right? I mean, the main mm -hmm. focus here is to get through the stem cell transplant without much of a hiccup. And I think being admitted to the hospital is not a hiccup, right? I mean, 70% of the patients need to go back to the hospital. But anyhow, you know, I expected the worst and hope for the best. The doctor said there's under 1% chance of fatality. So that can also happen <laughs> during the stem cell <laughs> transplant. You just never know, right? This is... yeah something that that could go really bad. And there's also, I think, a 5% chance or under 5% chance of having really bad kidneys after this. So, right. you know, let's, let's just thank the Lord for everything that happened. Yes, we have to go back to the hospital, but this is definitely not the worst, right? I mean, I, I overheard a conversation between a patient beside you and the doctor and the doctor pretty much said, well, you know, if I give you more medicine, your kidney's going to fail. But if I don't, your legs might fail. So, you know, we're, <laughs> we weren't faced with any extremely difficult decision to make 
Um, I think at times I wanted you to be more susceptible to the pills the doctors are giving you, but I can also understand that you don't want to put additional medicines into your body after you all went through everything that you have went through. So we are done and over with, with a stem cell transplant. And we're just waiting for our, our results in January. Yeah. And the other thing I want to say, when you talked about the kidneys, that's one thing that I can share to everybody as like a tip for life, hydrate, hydrate, hydrate with water. (laughs) That's always the best way to go. I was supposed to try to have at least like 1.5 to 2 liters of water every day because there was just so much medications in my body and just I needed to filter it out. So and yeah, and taking the medicine was really tough. Recalling that experience, you were very on top of it. Like David even had a journal to document my food diary, how much water I was drinking, when I took each type of medicine. Um, he is definitely not the medical kind of guy, but he, he managed to pronounce all of the names of the medications properly, spelt it all right. And every day he would actually update the medical team at the hospital. I guess that's one thing that I didn't realize how painful the transplant and the chemo was going to be. I have done a lot of chemo in the past. Well, not a lot, but you know, pretty heavy doses of chemo and it it's definitely not comparable to what the chemo before the transplant was and how painful that transplant was. Um, and I remember David being in the room when I was getting the stem cells, um, reinfused back into my body. I don't know what your experience was like. Like, did you actually watch everything? Were you cringing? Did you want to cry or did you just stare out the window? Because I definitely did not have time to look at you. (laughs) (laughs) I think you were uh, preoccupied. Yeah. No, I, I I stood there and watched. Yeah. No, I stood there and watched because at that point, there's really nothing I can do. I was just sort of <laughs> you waiting for turn a, your back away. <laughs> no, I was waiting for a, a cue if someone needed help, right? And I was trying to be there to give you encouragement. I remember very vividly that I was telling you, "Hey, babes, we're halfway through. We're halfway through." So during the stem cell transplant, Liz has to get three or stem cell re- reinfusion. So this is after her chemo is done and her all of her counts, all of her immune system counts dropped to essentially terrible (laughs) um, numbers, then you reinfuse the stem cell. It's sort of like a system reboot on a computer, Mm -hmm. but essentially you hope that your new stem cell that gets re-injected becomes healthy and is able to fight off any further complications from the cancer. Anyhow, so during the reinfusion, she had three giant tubes of cells, I guess. I mean, it's just her blood, but they were humongous. They were, yeah, stem cells. They were like, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but they were, they were definitely traumatic. like, I'm getting goosebumps even thinking about it right now. Yeah. I was going to say they were the size of dildos, but you know, those come in different <laughs> sizes and shapes based on my understanding of, of how those works, but they were definitely pretty large. And yeah. I mean, Liz was going through all sorts of, all sorts of emotions at that time. And her body was going through all sorts of experiences because she was hot. She was cold. She needed to chew ice. She needed a a cold towel. She needed a hot towel. Yeah. I needed a sip of water because I felt like my clothes, my throat was closing up on me. Yeah. It was insane. 
<laughs> she was going she was going left she was going right she was going up she was going down all these experiences are just so conflicting at the same time they were supposedly normal you know this is something that you go through yeah. and I just remember encouraging her giving her a status update because I don't think she was keeping track of how many tubes she got no. and there's just so many stringent procedures you must follow right I think if I remember this correctly after you take the stems out out of the freeze box or the cold box where they keep it to make sure that the, the, I'm, I'm assuming the cells don't die. They only had, I believe maybe half an hour to inject everything. That's right. Yeah. And I just kept on encouraging on the side, telling her, Hey babes, you're doing great. You know, you are halfway through your transplant, meaning that she was 1.5 tubes out of the three tubes. So <laughs> that's the least I can do. Right. And I was trying to sort of scoot in whenever people needed help. You know, if people wanted to confirm her last name, for example, I don't want her to be also worrying about, Oh my gosh, it's just my own cell kind of deal so right. you know i i couldn't turn my back away and that that was the best thing i can do to help right my goal for us is to, to do the best we can right and being on top of these things being organized that's the least we can do make sure we take the medicine medication at the right times right mm -hmm. make sure that we have enough intake of water i think that's the least we can do that can potentially have a very big impact on our treatment mm -hmm. but that's why i was very tentative and i don't know if i've ever told you but yeah, the way that you handled it really helped me for sure. Because especially when you're going through so much pain, hearing someone else's voice, like telling you to like what the status is like, how far you're doing, you're doing well, it actually really helps. They're like affirmations to kind of keep you going in a sense. And then the corn. Can we talk about the corn? <laughs> I'm scarred. So another one of the side effects of the stem cell transplant, one of many, which I'm not going to name all of it, is that I smell like canned corn because uh -huh. of a preservative in the stem cells that they use when they um, freeze it. It elicits a, a creamed corn, canned corn um, scent on your body and it lingers for days. And luckily, I didn't have to smell it. But in David's car, because he would drive me to the hospital and I would in and out every day, I would actually smell it. And just a hint of that was enough to throw me off. And I'm completely scarred from eating canned corn. I'm also even scarred from eating corn in general. Wow. <laughs> and I only got a snippet of what the experience was like compared to David and my sister. You know, this is this is totally one of those moments when it's like mind over body. Because when the stem cell transplant first started, it was so strong. It just hits you in the face and there's no escape. And I think Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It was it was super strong. But I mean, the best part about all this is I can still eat canned corn. It's not a problem. And oh to me, God. I was I was actually gonna puke when I first heard when I first smelt it. But then I just thought, you know, after or after everything Liz is going through, this canned corn smell is nothing. I still gladly take a canned corn on Thanksgiving, but that's just me. <laughs> oh, oh my God, you're such a foodie and it's insane. Um, but yeah, that kind of brings me to another thought that after my stem cell transplant, one thing that did change is my appetite. I used to have a huge appetite. I actually gained weight um, after my cancer diagnosis. It was just kind of funny because it's one of the signs of lymphoma is weight loss. Unfortunately, after the stem cell transplant, my appetite completely changed. I don't really have much cravings. So 
eating around David is like the best way to get my caloric intake per day, <laughs> which is not good for him because we've been trying to work on him losing weight and going on a calorie deficit. And you think this is easy for me. I have to eat more often so you can eat oh, See everything no. I have to do in the background. <laughs> and you make fun of me. <laughs> I guess, babes, I do have a question for you. Okay. Out of this whole stem cell transplant experience, what was the most difficult part? Is it the diagnosis? Is it during the transplant, post-transplant, pre-transplant, the time you have to spend at the hospital by yourself? I don't know what would be the most difficult parts, but yes, some of those were very difficult, if not all of them in different ways. I would say after my high dose chemo, it really just sucked the life out of me. So that time period, and then also having the transplant and then deal dealing with the side effects of the transplant physically, that was borderline intolerable. I'm saying borderline because yes, I survived, but in that moment, it felt intolerable, like completely traumatic. Um, so I think that was really hard because I never had to deal with that type of pain. And I would say I'm pretty good with pain tolerance. I have a pretty high threshold, but everything accumulated um, from my esophagitis to a mucositis, um, and then weakness and body aches and headaches and fatigue, vomiting. I don't know. The list goes on. Yeah. Diarrhea, constipation, like you get it all at once. Just, I think that was really hard. The other thing too, was how quickly my personality changed. I felt really bad for how irritable I was. I don't know how you thought it was, but I know having my sister there, maybe I'm more comfortable with her. It was so easy for me to snap at her feeling very irritable. On top of that, I think having days where I just hit mentally my low point where I felt like I couldn't fight through it. Um, and being so depleted of what I was able to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's totally normal. When I don't get enough sleep at night, I get irritable the next day. Considering <laughs> everything you were going through and you, you couldn't sleep through the night, right? So moving on from like the transplant stuff, more of the technicals. Um, what did you learn about me during this experience? I'm curious. Also, the only time when I get David to reflect. <laughs> yes. Besides those question cards. <laughs> yes. That's I think what I learned about you is that you have the ability to achieve things beyond your own belief, right? Because I feel like at times you were sort of have given up on yourself mm -hmm. to say, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. But somehow, <laughs> some way, you just continue to pull through, right? Yeah. I, I honestly, to be completely frank, at one point, when your stomach is hurting so much, I'm like, well, great knowing you, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> who knows what's happening in that stomach of yours, right? It was so long. It was, it was probably for two to three weeks when you had this like super bad stomach, right? I think it was hurting. You couldn't stand up straight. You couldn't sit straight. Yeah, I and couldn't eat. You couldn't really eat. Yeah. And then the, the nurses were like, yeah, you should get her to stand up. You should get her to sit up to prevent pneumonia. I'm like, I can't. Like, she can't. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to tell you, but what you ask is impossible, <laughs> you know? 
but you always seem to come through and it's i think you had this innate ability to 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 fight and to keep going that you don't even know of and i learned about that so i kind of learned that during those moments i just let you be and i'm not i'm not going to be self-bearing overbearing i'm not going to tell you babes do this do that do this because i know innately you will continue to fight and you will get to a stage where you're going to be good right yeah. and that's what happens during this whole experience Oh, that's a great answer. And I, I think you're so right about it. I know people say like, oh, you're a fighter, you're a fighter. And in my mind, in the past, I always thought of like fighters as being someone who's very vocal, very positive, very energetic. Like I would think of you as like that image of being the fighter, you know, you don't externally and internally give up. Like for me, maybe I externally give up, but internally, I'm probably still fighting but quietly Mm -hmm. so i think yeah that's something i'm trying to realize about myself and if i'm fighting i'm going down swinging and i'm screaming so that's just who (laughs) i am so babes during this experience what did you learn about me you are really good at adapting on how you respond to me especially going through this whole cancer process it's i'm a chameleon pardon yeah i'm a chameleon yeah (laughs) it's really hard to know what the cancer i hate calling myself a patient but what the person going through cancer is feeling and how they would respond to certain things um if that makes sense so i think you figure it out really quickly on how to respond to me like knowing when to give me the pep talk knowing when to just be quiet and let me cry knowing when to make jokes, (laughs) knowing when to be overbearing. So that really, really helped me through the process. I remember one day when you were driving me to the hospital, like you, you kind of just always know my needs, like, you know, my needs faster and quicker than I know my needs. (laughs) (laughs) Anticipation. Yeah. Yeah. So it must be exhausting for you to always be thinking, being thinking ahead, like problem solving mode, like you're always in problem solving mode. Um, Yeah. So I remember you driving me to hospital one day for one of those follow-ups post transplant. And I, I was crying in the car. I was like, Oh, I wish I can go to the mall one day. I wish I can, you know, be able to go on a walk. And I just cried and you didn't, you responded in such a great way. You were just quiet and you're like, give me enough pep talk, but not too much pep talk. <laughs> That's just something I really appreciate and love about you. Oh, thanks, my love. Did you expect that answer? Eh, yeah, sounds pretty cliche, pretty standard, pretty standard. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, so I've also learned something about myself during this experience and it's having the ability to compartmentalize everything that's happening. Right. Because a lot of times I also have to deal with things that are happening at work while dealing with, you know, our our health journey. And one of the things that I noticed myself doing is when you're at a hospital, I am just 100 percent or 110 percent locked into work trying to solve the problem without having doubts in the back of my head of, you know, something not going well at the hospital. And I think that's very important. right? Right. It doesn't matter what life presents our way. It's having the ability to compartmentalize a lot of these things that are happening around us and only focus on the things at hand. 
And mm-hmm. when I'm at the hospital, when I'm attending to you, that's the only thing I focus on, making sure that you're taking care of, anticipating some of your needs before you know it, and trying to keep you on track on some of the goals that we have, right? A simple mm-hmm. one, it's just taking your medicines on time, right? But I think I got really good at compartmentalize a lot of the problems that, that we have, whether it's our health related or work related. Yeah. And I think that's so important. Even working out, I think you were working out a lot during that time too. My sister was like, wow, what a gym head. And you would spend hours. And then even if it's not at the hospital or even at work, even hanging out with me, you would be like a hundred percent present. Yeah. And I did start hitting the gym really hard. I think it it allowed me to some room to just for myself because it gets tiring, right? When you have to socialize at work. And then of course, when it's just the two of us, I try to give you my full attention. I try to be not necessarily more outgoing, but I try to trying to start up conversation, right? To take your mind off of things. And yeah. at times it does get exhausting for me. And Jim was sort of the, my heaven or my hate, my safe haven, not my heaven. heaven? Oh my I'm not quite there yet, but it's, it's sort of my safe haven to go just work out, um, and also I feel good after working out. Yeah. So I guess with your relationship, even talking right now, it's definitely has changed since when we first started the podcast, the dynamic, the things that we've gone through, what we've learned about each other. How do you think a relationship changed this year? Here's my unorthodox answer. I don't think it changed. I think it's still what? going super strong. It definitely I, changed. I, I do think that. At times now, I'm more attentive to your needs. But how did you think our relationship changed, my love? I think it changed so much. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Maybe maybe really? I'm in a, maybe I'm not attentive enough. <laughs> um. No. I, I think what we used to think were problems in the past. Like yes, in the moment there are problems. I don't want to invalidate anything. But after this whole experience, how we handle conflict and discrepancy would be so different than how we may have handled it in the past not that in the past we were when we were fighting it doesn't mean like it was toxic but I think now with this whole breadth of experience and learning about patience learning about each other like again listening and being attentive to each other's needs um figuring out what you can control and what you can't control like so many different life lessons have been unpacked (laughs) just within this year that I think a relationship has matured in that sense. And it's overall very positive. Even if we do have a fight, which at this point, I don't really even know what it would be about. It wouldn't even really be a fight. It would just be like, you know, maybe some, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Discrepancy (laughs) or something like that, or miscommunication that, it's not something that would linger for days. It was something that we would just like snip it in the moment. Our, our main fight now, it's me telling Liz that she doesn't eat enough or she's not drinking enough water and her telling me I'm not going to the gym enough or controlling yeah, my diet. Exactly. That's, gr- that's our mean gripes <laughs> right now. And I think the other thing too, if we really want to go into the DL is changes in our intimacy. So going through cancer, it definitely changes with your levels of hormones. Um, and even with my fertility, that's also affected that on top of the side effects of chemo, the fatigue, um, the hair loss, it really does do a lot to your self-esteem and your libido. And I think that's 
another thing that we had to learn to navigate. So forms of intimacy would change. Do you Mm -hmm. want to elaborate? (laughs) (laughs) A lot of times when you have these intimacy talks, it goes both ways, right? If your partner's libido is low or you are experiencing something different, like everything that's happening with the fatigue and side effects, and it almost makes me or makes my libido lower. Um, So a lot of our intimacy, physical intimacy turns into hugging, embracing, kissing, and touches of interesting parts. <laughs> oh my God. Why do you have to do that? Why do you do that? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm innately six. <laughs> <laughs> you really are. He loves cartoons, like religiously. Yeah. And like caressing and caressing. holding hands is huge. Um, oh, I want to do more than holding hands, but okay. Continue. <laughs> um, and that's one thing I also learned. Like when I was feeling very very sick I did not like any of the physical touch and David is someone who's very affectionate and that was when I realized like whoa we are definitely not on the same page of like with this like when he would be caressing me I would like put my hand on it and like stop it and I don't know if you ever realized that so I'm learning myself now like this is a part of my life where I'm not as open with physical touch but i'm trying to be like i'm more aware of that yeah yeah no that's for sure but i would say hint hint as we're heading towards the holidays lately my like dominant love language would be gifts receiving gifts oh great (laughs) (laughs) like i I, don't know if i hinted it enough but let me just put it out there because that's another thing that changed about myself i am very direct and blunt and i just don't have any time to weave through what my main point would be so yeah i think that's one thing that i actually really appreciate i think but it has to be but i'm very okay i want to say i'm picky i think i'm reasonable it has to be gifts that are meaningful and something that's surprising. Like, I don't want to be needing to write a wish list and you just get me something off my wish list. I want something that would be useful, practical, meaningful, something I would really like and not even know that I would like it. That's the best kind of gifts. Oh, great. This presents to be a challenge. I think what you really need. <laughs> <Your> first fight. <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, after hearing the hint about something useful, something practical, something you would like, I think you just need an envelope full of money. Wada wada cash is always the right language. I mean, considering all the gifts you're getting people these days, I think maybe a a red envelope would be the best gift here. What do you say, babes? I will neither. I will neither accept or deny that. Agree nor disagree. Oh yes, I will neither agree or disagree that proposition. All right, boys, we are in a wada of cash. It is. What do you mean? I said that could be something I disagree with. Yeah, but usually when you say I will agree nor disagree means that you agree. Never no, mind. Okay. You don't you don't get these inferences, my love. You don't get these inferences. <laughs> no, but maybe it's your moment to figure out if that's what I really want or not. <laughs> <laughs> Great. What happened to? Oh, I am much more direct now. So direct <laughs> yeah. that I have to figure this stuff out. <laughs> The other thing too, that's really funny. So um, I had a friend come over and we were hanging out and I was telling her like they're 
some categories of gifts that you never get me. And you were in the other room and I actually tried saying it a little louder to see if you would hear. But you probably you probably couldn't hear because you're you were too busy playing video games. But Wait, yeah, okay, Mitch? so much, so much for being blunt. I'm gonna just take that comment back. In certain ways I am, but in obviously there's still some ways that I'm not. Wait, hold up. Are you saying you told Mitch what you wanted? Oh my gosh. Let me, let me, let me haul out of Mitch real quick. No, you can't see that just defeats everything. Well, you shouldn't have dropped the hints now. <laughs> Knowing what we know now, um, what do you think we could have done differently? Or what do you think you could have done differently through this, this experience? Yeah. When we thought about this question, it actually took me some time to figure out the answer. And to be quite frank, there's nothing I don't think I would have done differently there are some things that I still need to um, come to terms with, mainly the infertility piece, because that was something unexpected during this process. But there's nothing I would have done differently. Some people may say, oh, I wish I would learn more about this or I wish I would have been more informed about it. But what I realized about myself is that, and maybe even with you, is that it depends on the person. For some people, knowing all the information right away and being very planned and knowing like all the side effects and all the medications and everything like that is comforting for them. But for me, that's would probably induce more anxiety for me. So for me, it was just like figuring things out, things out as they come and kind of dealing with it. You learn so much about yourself and how you view life and your relationships throughout it all for the better I would say yeah that's fair I mean hmm. generally speaking I think we did as well as we could have through the experience I think something else that I would have changed if I had an option was to be more attentive to you when we first got our cancer diagnosis because I think during your first chemo treatment a lot of times you felt alone and helpless and cancer can do that to you right and I felt like I wasn't as physically present as I could have been. I think I could have been more attentive. And after talking to our friendly uh, Dr. N, if I can say, he mentioned that or your emotions and mood actually plays a huge part in treatment success. And that's something that I try to do better in the second time, just always being around you, mm-hmm. whether it's at my house, your house, or when we're getting treatment. But the first treatment or the first cycle of chemo, I felt like I wasn't there as often as I should have physically i honestly don't think it would have changed anything in the grand scheme of things i was doing quite well during the first half of the year or so i never felt like you weren't there enough at all never so i don't think you should put that on yourself whatsoever and also that was up to my decision as well like i felt like i was able to do it more independently to be honest and we still hung out a lot and we had a lot of great quality time I don't agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) To each his own, my love. We hope you all enjoyed this episode. I know it's been a long time coming and we're going to come back in the new year with more episodes to come. And last but not least, we wish everyone a happy holiday. Stay safe during these COVID times and make sure to spend as much time with your family and loved one as possible. 